0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, uh, I wanted to bring to your attention, I'm sure you, you probably know who this gentleman is. I hope this is working. It doesn't seem to be. Is my batteries done? What's up? Hello, there he is. Remember him? That's Andrew Brunson, and uh, I just thought I'd bring to your attention, World Magazine has declared him to be their Daniel of the Year. If you get World Magazine, you already saw that, and uh, I just thought his story was interesting. I just want to tell you about it in in view of faith tried and triumphant, because here's a man, he was uh, jailed in 2016. I'm going to read some of this to you. This is taken right out of the World Magazine um, article. <clears throat> but uh, he had served 23 years as missionaries, he and his wife in in uh, Turkey. He um, was jailed for 21 months, accused of espionage and terrorism, uh, probably to satisfy some Muslim influence in Turkey. Uh, 21 months. He was released October 21st. You remember when he came home after a lot of, uh, well, we put the uh, clampers on turkey, and um, it, it apparently worked, at least to a certain extent. Throughout the ordeal, Brunson had no assurance he would be set free. Now, put your, this is a missionary. This is a missionary just like you or I or any of our missionaries. He's from North Carolina, Black Mountain, I think, and uh, he's part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, the EPC. And uh, so here he is, and he gets arrested for espionage and terrorism. And so uh, there he is. Uh, he had no assurance he'd be set free. He lost 50 pounds during the first year. In letters written to his family, he wrote candidly of his fear and brokenness. He, faces, he faced charges that could mean 35 years in prison, which would be basically a life sentence. He says, quote, Sometimes it's harder to live for God than to die for God. Uh, he said that following his release, I would rather have been in heaven than in prison. Uh, in that darkness, Brunson said he made a decision. I would keep talking to God and running after him. I would be a living martyr. Keep talking to God and running after him, which is what our man in Psalm 73 had resolved to do. By the, the nearness of God is my good. Uh, from his cell there in Izmir, uh, he wrote a song worthy of, uh, of my all that apparently has been sung. I don't Have we sung that song? I don't, I don't know that we have or not. Anyway, um, he was brought before the authorities and charged with these charges. He says, quote, I am an innocent man on all these charges. I reject them. I know why I am here. I am here to suffer in Jesus' name. His church there was called Resurrection Church. It had about 40 people in regular attendance. <clears throat> the Christian presence in Turkey is like 1% of the population Turkey's Protestant and Evangelical churches number about 150. And of course, that's the land of Galatia in the New Testament. It's Asia Minor. And it's the land of those seven churches of Revelation. And uh, now it's uh, pretty much uh, Muslim. Uh, Brunson struggled to recall books by others who suffered for their Christian faith. Now he's talking about how he went through this trial, wanting to remember how they counted it all joy. Quote, I wasn't filled with joy. I was actually really broken. He found the Bible dry. It wasn't feeding me. The first year of his imprisonment was full of fear and grief over the uncertainties. He suffered over separation from his family and from Christian fellowship. If I'd been let out after the first year, I'd been, I'd been lying on the floor, curled in a fetal position with PTSD. Uh, the second year, God started to rebuild me, he says. Uh, the pastor... Uh, credits Noreen, who is his wife. He met her at Wheaton College, married in 1989. Noreen, who eventually was permitted regular visits with helping him stay strong. Does that remind you of a missionary who was in a really horrible prison situation and his wife came and ministered to him? Uh, One of the missionaries that we read about, Adoniram Judson, remember his wife came and brought him hope. If she hadn't been there, I mean... Talk about darkness. Well, Noreen was, was like uh, Ann Judson, bringing hope and encouragement to her husband. Uh, he says, uh, when he was asked why he forgave those who lied about him, Brunson responded wryly, my mother made me do it. Um, Brunson said he was helped by the writing of Richard Vermbrand, the voice of the martyr's founder. Some of you have seen video of him, uh, who in his confinement read Matthew 5, 10 through 12 every day. And he danced. So Brunson began taking himself to a corner of his crowded cell every day to dance, reciting those very same verses Rejoice and be glad, rejoice and be glad. I was not rejoicing, but I did it as an act of obedience. It wasn't pretty. People thought it was weird, but I would dance as Vermbrand danced. In his first trial, Uh, began this year, April 17th. He stood alone before a three-judge panel. That was just six months ago. After the charges against him were read, he delivered a six-hour rebuttal in what observers later described as flawless Turkish. He said, I reject all the accusations of this indictment. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. My purpose here in Turkey is to tell people about Jesus and help disciple those who believe in him. I have not been involved in any illegal activity. At his final trial, when judges returned after conferring, uh, Brunson was on his knees praying. Uh, They found him guilty of terrorism, but released him for time served, so that in 24 hours, he went from on his knees praying before the Turkish Tribunal to praying with President Trump in the Oval Office. Remember that? Many of you have seen that. That was on October the 13th. Um, that's what he says. One minute I was kneeling in the middle of a Turkish courtroom, and within 24 hours I was praying in the Oval Office. Uh, after he prayed, he returned to North Carolina, joined worshipers at Christ Community Church, cr- who greeted him with a long applause. And uh, he said to them, "I am a convicted terrorist." He reminded the assembly. And the pastor responded for everyone, "We're not scared." <laughs> what a story! This is now. This is not you know, 200 years ago. This is now. So this 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 man uh, has gone through a trial of his faith. Was it easy? Not. Not even close. Uh, that first year sounded like it was pretty awful. Pretty awful. So now what we want to do is finish up our study of Psalm 73. And I want to, I want to encourage you to read through Psalm 73 as much as you can. Uh, my Bible's got all these little notes all along because this is such a great picture of a man who went through, uh, a lot of it was self-imposed. He said his foot nearly slipped because he was envious. But anyway, I want to read it. I'm going to read the whole thing here uh, and get down to the end, and then we're going to get into the, the sweetness of this psalm, which is at the very end of Psalm 73. If you want, a, if you want a, a, a homework project to give to somebody, have them take Psalm 73, read each verse, and write down beside each verse how God is using that to help them with their challenges. This psalm is the answer to our emotional problems. I don't know if you've been following MacArthur's daily broadcast uh, this week. You should, If you have grace to you, you should go back and listen to all of them. They're all about contentment from Philippians 4. So good. And the whole thing is... Who is your God? Do you believe that God is your God? If so, you can trust him because he's sovereign. Anyway, I got stirred up with those messages. They are so good and good to encourage others to read. But let's start verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, as for me, my feet came close to stumbling my steps had almost slipped because I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked for there are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They're not in trouble as other men nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Garment of violence covers them. Their eye bul- eye bulges from fatness. The ro- imaginations of their heart run riot they mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens. Sounds like the Tower of Babel to me. We're going to build us a tower to heaven. We don't need God. I just read parts of the humanist. Uh, there's three humanist declarations, and uh, you should you should Google them sometime. We do not need some kind of a savior out there. We can save ourselves. That's exactly what these guys are saying. We can save ourselves. We have technology. We have science. We have reason. We don't need God. And uh, that's what these people are saying. They mock and wickedly speak. Uh, They have set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place. Waters of abundance are drunk by them. It's hard to understand that verse. But they say, how does God know? Uh, And is there knowledge with the Most High? Where is your God anyway? (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Basically an atheist statement right there, verse 11. Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They they have increased in wealth, living in comfort. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. I didn't ask for this. This is hard. I'm jealous of these people. How easy they have it. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight, his thoughts, until I came into the sanctuary of God. That's where he got a new vision. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. Sinners in the hands of an angry God is from Deuteronomy. I forget exactly the reference. In due time, their foot will slip. That was Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Slip, slipping. Surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. What a life they had earlier. But now look at them. They are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast. I saw my wicked heart. That's what he's saying there. I was like a beast. I saw how stupid my heart was, how ignorant I was, like a beast. Before you, Nevertheless, and this is the great transition here. This is the key to this psalm. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, amazing grace. You have taken hold of my right hand, restraining grace. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. He is living in the grace of God here. And then we get to where we're going to be this morning. This is the sweetness of this psalm. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is my portion forever Bill Good up in Faith, Faith Baptist Church, he had this phrase, we were made by God, for God, to become like God. He is our portion forever. He is the portion of our heart. What's the portion of your heart? What is it that your heart is looking to? For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. Actually, those who go a whoring from you if you read your margin there but as for me the nearness of god is the nearness of god is my good i have made the lord god my refuge that i may tell of all your works now folks that is a wonderful psalm that starts someplace and ends someplace It starts bad and it ends good, and it's just wonderful. So, we're looking this morning at the Rock of Ages. That's chapter 10 in in Martin Lloyd Jones' book. And we come to this happy end. Uh, Remember, it's always the end of the matter. We're in the midst, but always remember, it's the end. Where does this lead? Where is this going? What is the end of the broad gate? And what is the end of the narrow gate? And so here, his, his end is now recovered. He's recovered from the depths of almost slipping, and he ends up here worshiping God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, indeed, in these two verses, verses 25 and 26, in these two verses, we see the goal of salvation. This is what it is all about, what it is all for, and the psalmist has arrived there. So, in your mind, you can trace his steps, almost slipping, envious, but then realizing, then coming into the sanctuary of God, and then realizing what's going to happen to the wicked, and what their end is, and so on. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, this is the test of Christian profession. This is the whole purpose of the incarnation, and the entire work of our blessed Lord and Savior, To enable us to speak like this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And apart from you, I desire nothing on earth. That is a worshiper. That is not an idolater. That is a worshiper. Beautiful. Whom in heaven? um, Yeah. Whom in heaven, he realizes there is... No one else who can help him. He found this out by experience. He discovered that even though those rich people and all those ungodly people were having it easy for a time, he realized that this world has nothing. It is empty. It has lost all its charm and value. By the way, did you pick up a handout? Are there, did everybody get a handout? Okay. Okay. Um, he, uh, he realizes that this world is only emptiness. Jeremiah 2.13. Does anybody know that verse? I bet you do. Do you? My people have committed to her. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's the world. Hewing out broken cisterns that can hold no water. Luke, I mean, uh, Jeremiah 2.13. This world, for this man, has lost all of its charm and value. He now desires God himself. And not just what God does for him. He desires God, the living God. And really, look, this is the value of trials. When James and Romans and First Peter talk about count it all joy when you fall into various trials, what do trials do for the believer? They push us. To God, they push us closer just like this man. They help us to see that this world, if you had any hopes in it, they're empty. They lose all value. God is the one who is our, whom have I in heaven but you, he says. And then, um, yeah, he not only desires God, but, but only God. He desires God, but he also desires only God. And that's Psalm 42, 1 and 2. He thirsts and hungers for the living God. And then there's no one on earth. In verse 25b, uh, let's see. And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Besides you. Now, really, what about your wife? What about your children? What about your family? Your friends, don't you desire them? How do you answer that? Comparatively. Comparatively. Is that what you said? Is that what you said? Comparison? Exactly. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in Luke 14. He describes a true disciple living with Christ at the center as Lord of our lives, loving him above everyone. In comparison, it's like we don't love anyone else because we love him so much. And that's what uh, Luke there if anyone comes to me and does not hate, comparatively hate in comparison to your love for God, his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yea, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And you know, that's pretty radical. It doesn't mean we hate, actually literally hate our relatives. We love our relatives, but they do not come first. I think it was I think it was uh, Thomas uh, Watson who said, if, if the relative gets in the way between me and Christ, I jump over the relative to get to Christ. He's not going to keep me away from um, God. So uh, then we have God, my rock. We're still in the same chapter. This is verse 26. Uh, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. God is the strength or the rock of my heart. If you look at your uh, look in the in the margin there, you'll probably see that the word strength is the Hebrew word rock. Tour, rock. God is strength in the sense of my rock, my rock. I'm trusting in Him. God satisfies me completely. I'm resting confidently in God, whatever happens. See? Whatever happens, whatever my circumstances, whatever my challenges, and i got to learn this, that I am trusting in God, God alone, as my solid rock, my foundation. God is his heart's rock, immovable, unshaken. Are you on the rock? Are you trusting in him? Remember Spurgeon's comment about how the he kisses the wave that pushes him up against the rock of ages. God is my rock. Now nobody can do that for you. Uh, you can't take three steps and figure that one out. You believe that. You you trust God as your strength, as your rock, like this man is. Deuteronomy thirty-two four is a great verse. There, the rock, his work is perfect. It's the same word. Do I have that? Yeah, let's go back. Uh, it's the same word. Sure, the Lord is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. The God of faithfulness, without injustice, righteous and upright is He. Righteous and upright is He. The eternal God is a dwelling place. Underneath are the everlasting arms. So, are you on the rock? I'm not sure if I got this from Martin Lloyd-Jones or not, but what are you, what are you trusting in? You know, where, where are you putting all your weight? Family, friendship, business, activities, experiences, travel. Some people, some people worship travel. I know people like that. They travel. That's what they do. That's their life. Can you imagine? Yeah. You, you just live to travel. I want to see all these places in this world. But they don't have God. Oh, my goodness. Nothing wrong with traveling. It's great. You know, go down to Berkeley Lake. Check it out. Or Branson or Florida or wherever. Be careful about Florida. That's a strange place down there. <laughs> but, but anyway, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Huh? All other ground is sinking sand. You know what? This section right here, um, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. That reminds me of Colossians 3, 2. Uh, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things that are on earth. Set your affection Whom have I in heaven but God? And apart from God, I desire nothing on earth. That's what Paul said in Philippians 4. Uh, He's content with whatever he's got given. Whatever is certain, I'm content because Christ is my rock. All right. Now we come to the final chapter. And it's called the new resolution. Sounds like a president's mantra for, you know, the new contract, the new covenant, the new... Whatever. All right. Here is your new resolution. Verses 27 and 28. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. Okay. But then verse 28. And let me ask you before I read this. Does this remind you of someone else in the Bible? But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Remember that? And here's this psalmist saying that very same thing. As for me, this is my new resolution, God's nearness is what I'm going to focus on. I am going to walk with God. I'm going to keep him center. Nothing else is going to come before him by the grace of God. I've made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So the Lord, or the uh, psalmist resolves, nearness to God is good for me. This is the truth I'm going to live by. Uh, those far from God will perish. And uh, how true that is. Uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, those far from God. Though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceeding small. Though with patience he stands waiting, with exactness grinds he all. Uh, That was from Martin Lloyd-Jones. I'm not smart enough to find that and stick it in there. But the fact is, all those far from God will perish. Will perish. So I hope you're close to God through Jesus Christ. The psalmist has reviewed his past now, and facing himself and his future, he resolves, nearness to God is good for me. This is the truth that I'm going to live by. And you go back to the beginning, and uh, verse 2, As for me, my foot came close to slipping, but now he's triumphant. Faith tried and triumphant. He exults in God, I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. There's only two positions in life, and only two, to be far from God or to be near to him. The reason the psalmist went wrong, grumbling, complaining, envying, self-pity, the reason he went wrong is because he got away from God. You get away from God and you start looking at life from your human perspective. Remember several weeks back we talked about those two views, the, the rational view and the Spiritual understanding. You start looking at things pretty soon, you'll be envying and grumbling and pitying yourself and so on. The moment we move away from God, everything goes wrong. So this man and you and I resolve, I'm going to live near to God all the time by the grace of God. And when we get away from it, we're going to come back. Those who draw near to God find good because the Lord is good. Do you know that? So you look at verse 28. But as for me, here's my resolution. The nearness of God is my good. What is your good? Your nearness to God. He is your good. Do you see God that way? Mm -hmm. God is your good. Boy, is that ever important. And who is your God that's good? Well, think about the attributes. We went over them a while back here. But infinite, eternal, and unchanging. Great and majestic. Concerned about us. Almighty, creator. Self-existent. Absolute. He's the one to whom we draw near. Keep in touch with this God. Draw near to God, James 4.8. And he will draw near to you. Let me ask you a question. How hard is it to draw near to God? How hard is that? Is it hard or not hard? It is hard? You think it's not hard? He thinks it is hard. Maybe the answer is Debbie, yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, we've got to be willing to deal with our sin. We've got to be willing to deal with our hearts. What do our hearts love? And we need to repent of loving ourselves, this world. We need to repent of that. But then when we turn back to God, how reluctantly does God draw near to us? He's not, reluctant. not in the slightest. Do what? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. We don't have to beg him to draw near to us really except turn away from going our own way looking for value in this world yeah draw near to God and he will draw near to you he's not reluctant to draw near to you yes Beautiful. So he's the one that's ultimately, is that what you're saying? Drawing you to him while you're drawing to him. He's drawing you to him. That's that's the way it is. Really, it's good. Yeah, my my resolution says the psalmist says I am going to draw near to God. I'm going to draw near to God. I want to go down life's path. Okay, anybody born before, let's say 1970, do you remember? Yes. You know what I'm going to say already. No. Oh. What do you remember? I do remember. There you go. <laughs> if you had a car in the '60s or '50s, for sure. But in the '60s, they started that front seat was a bench seat. Remember that? And when you were dating your gal, she was sitting so close to you, you couldn't have shot a twenty two bullet between the two of you, right? What happened when you got married? So (laughs) slow, slow slide. No, but you know, you know, if 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 she's ticked off at you, you know, she's not. She's over there. You, You got some work to do right here. The nearness of God is my good. Everything's good when she's right beside me. Going down this going down that road. And then they brought in these nefarious, evil, wicked bucket seats. And ruined everything. So you gotta watch you gotta interpret all of culture through the scripture through the biblical. We don't know what's ahead for us. Our world is full of change, instability, uncertainty, but whatever is happening around us or inside us. Hey, bottom line, we leave, when we're out of here, it's God who is the answer to our issues. That's what this psalm is saying. It's God. Whatever's happening around us or inside it, we can go to the one who is always the same in his power, majesty, glory, love, mercy, compassion. He is good. Nearness to God is good for me. He is rejoicing in his God, this man is. He never felt so blessed and happy, even though his circumstances haven't changed. And so what about you? Is this your experience? Drawing near to God? As you draw near to God, he's drawing near to you. You're going to be rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord. That's what Mary did after she found out she was going to have Jesus she just, her heart exulted in God. We're going to be looking at that in a couple weeks here on Sunday morning. Rejoicing in God. Man, if you can't be rejoicing in the Lord right now, you're not walking, you're, he's not, you're not near to Him. You've got to draw near to Him. I hear crickets. <laughs> I <do too. laughs> Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Pick out the most glorious moments of your experience. And the moments of supreme peace and joy, have they not been times when you've been nearest to God? There you are, lifted above your circumstances, with wings as eagles, mounting up. You're those mountain goats that Beau Folk, I believe, showed you a clip of those mountain goats scaling the heights. You find contentment, salvation, the ocean of God's love. And I believe I borrowed that from Paul Tripp's book, All. A-W-E. So, as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, but now he is triumphantly exulting in God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So, let me ask you a question before we look at these. There we go. Um, Could you talk to somebody about how how good God has been to you, how you've found in him his goodness in your life. Could you, could you give a testimony to that? Tonight's an opportunity to do that because we're going to have a Thanksgiving service here. And what better thing to thank God for than for himself? You know, We can thank him for all the blessings that we get from him, even forgiveness and so on. But even more importantly is how great God is those attributes of God. We give thanks to God. So many of the songs we sing at Thanksgiving do just that. Telling others how good God is in your life. So how do you keep near? And these are, you know, these, these, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. I want to get to the end for sure here. Uh, By prayer, by prayer, we got to draw near to God. I think this man, he went into the sanctuary. I'm sure he prayed. I'm sure he talked to God. You got to keep communicating. With God talking to God, Bible reading, Bible reading, God speaks to you. I can't imagine a Christian not reading his Bible. How could you possibly not read your Bible if you're a Christian? This is how God speaks to you. This is how the communication, the, the communion, communication continues by, you know, reading Scripture. It may not always be, you know, blow you away type Scripture. It may just be, hey, I read that and I learned a little bit something from it. You know, if you're reading through Job right now. Oh my goodness, it's, you know, I mean, okay, <laughs> whatever, but here we go, you know, I can't wait to get to when God says, where were you when I laid the, did we get there yet? We didn't get there yet, tomorrow, that's tomorrow, so don't forget to read it tomorrow, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, you evolutionist, okay, um, yeah, enough of that, public worship. When he went into the sanctuary of God, that's when he began to perceive, okay, this is what life is really about. It's not about the theater or it's not about, you know, the mall. You know, nothing wrong necessarily with those things, nothing wrong. But that's not what life is. Life is where we come together and we worship God. That's what he's talking about there. By meditation, take time to think about God and talk to yourself about his goodness and his grace toward you and his son Jesus Every once in a while, I get on this kick to go back to the Valley of Vision. So many of you have this little booklet. Well, it's not very little. This is little because it's really skinny pages. But, uh, and, and so the other day, I heard, it, I heard it emphasized on the radio. Somebody was talking about it. I said, I need to pick that up again. And, you know, this is just a whole bunch of meditations to help you and me draw near to God. If you don't have it, you ought to get it. You might not use it all the time. But, I mean, he, he, the author of it, I can't remember his name, uh, Arthur Bennett, uh, he just drew on all kinds of Puritan writings and he put them all together and they're just like, there's one day. That's, that was this morning, faith. And it's just basically talking to God about your faith. Lord, ignite my faith. Thank you for the gift of faith and help my faith to be active and working and so on. Good stuff. Good stuff. Meditating, drawing near to God by obedience. And uh, meditation, obedience. Did you get those? I'm sure you did. You probably maybe didn't. There it is. Um, and then I want to give you uh, these 10 concluding uh, truths. And all I'm doing is going back and drawing. But I just love the way, you know, this is something you can do with Scripture. And it just, you know, it gets the shovel and rake out. It just digs in a little bit. You know, you're not just scraping the surface. You sit down with your tablet, with your notebook, and go through. And what is it telling me? Uh, Go through Ephesians 1 and write down. Don't just write it down. What has God done for me in Ephesians 1? There's not one command in that chapter. It's all what God has done for me. And that's what, that's what I'm doing here. Ten concluding truths in verses 23 to 28 assuring you that surely, surely, surely God is good to his people. Our God is good. God is good. Uh, there you go. One at a time. God is good with you holding your hand. With your right hand, you will hold me. God is good to you, guiding you, with His counsel. He is guiding us, huh? Yes. That's the word of God. He's guiding us with His counsel. He is guiding you. God will receive you to glory. There is assurance in verse 24, with your counsel you'll afterward, receive me to glory. So here I am in this world, and he's taking my hand, showing me the word as we're going along, and then he goes, welcome. I, you can't find a more beautiful, gracious verse in the whole New Testament than that one right there. It's just wonderful. Uh, God is your prize in heaven. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? God is... You know, what do you, who are you going to heaven to see, by the way? And by the way, why doesn't the Bible... T- uh, real quick. Why doesn't the Bible tell us more about heaven? What it's like there? Stop even wondering. Go ahead. Why does he need to do that? Why he doesn't need to do that. He's there. He's there. You know. You know about these heavenly tours... Everybody wants to go to heaven and then come back, and they're saying, you can do it. You can go to heaven, look around, see Uncle Arthur, and then come back and tell us about it. Don't believe any of those. It's a point in the man wants to die, and then the judgment. God is not giving heavenly tours, but what God is is your prize when you get there. You know, when you get to heaven, you're going to see Jesus. Whatever else you see, you're going to see him, and that's what really matters. Um, God is your only satisfaction in this world. God is your own. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off all your feelings, all your whatevers, and get them on Jesus. God strengthens your heart. He is the strength of your heart. He destroys all his enemies. There is no evil going to befall you. That's what Paul meant. You know, he's getting ready to have his head chopped off. And he goes, and the Lord will deliver me from all evil. What? You're about ready to get your head chopped off. What are you talking about? Well, he's talking about ultimately nothing can touch a Christian. It's the evil of the soul. Yeah. Nothing can touch the soul. That's right. That's good. Um, where are we there? God's nearness. nearness. God's nearness is your good, God is your refuge. You take refuge. He is your rock. He is your refuge. And then I love the way it ends. The way it ends. Could it be better so I can tell other people about who you are? God is your life's message. Man, I need to apply these, these ten things here. These are great. I would really encourage you seriously to memorize verses 23 through 28. You might leave out verse 27. Verse uh, 27. But anyway, those are just great. Just great. Any thoughts? We're going to close up here. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm. What a wonderful psalm it is that you have preserved for us in the Scripture. Thank you that you have taught us never to be beastly like envying people who have stuff that we may not have because, Lord, we have you and having you, we have everything. Help us, Father, to feed, feed on Your nearness, the nearness of you is our good. Help us to live there. In your name I pray, amen.